Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine podcast. This is episode 30-something. I don't really care what episode it is because it's Master's Week. That's all I really care about, to be honest. We have a huge show this week, so grab a drink, sit back. I got one. Got a little Sammy Adams. What we got today? A little Wicked Hazy IPA. Sammy Adams. We got a lot to talk about, man. Jordan Spieth gets his first win in like 1,300 days. And then the Masters. Everybody's already there. Some of the guys were there over the weekend. So we are ready to talk Augusta National. I would love to say for the first time in a while, but we were really just here. We were just here in November. DJ gets the win, obviously, by like five shots, broke the scoring record. He demolished Augusta National. That is not going to happen this time around. I can almost guarantee you that. But I'm really, really happy to be talking the Masters yet again, just a couple months after we did it the first time. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about the Valero. Jordan Spieth obviously is back. He's like the third betting favorite, I think, at Augusta on DraftKings. So that one win, people are cementing. The people in Vegas are like, oh, Jordan Spieth's back now. So now he's one of the betting favorites. He's tied with Bryson as the second favorite in the field, which is crazy to think about where he just came from. And a in what a four month span, he turned himself from a plus 7,000 plus 6,000 guy winning week out to he just won a golf tournament. Now he's the second favorite going to the biggest tournament of the year. So, really looking forward to talking about Jordan here in a second. But headlines Brooks is at Augusta National. Reports, people, people more connected than me may have thought that Brooks was, and he had a little bit fun on Twitter, which was awesome to see. But a lot of people thought that he was going to be out for months. And he just had knee surgery a couple weeks ago, I think, like the last week of March, maybe the third week of March. And a lot of people around the game thought he was going to be out for a long time. And he just isn't. He's at Augusta National. I saw a couple videos of his swing on Twitter today. He looks good. He's walking around pretty healthy. So we'll see if that knee holds up. Who knows? Augusta's very undulating, obviously. So the walk is a little bit tough. So we'll see how his right knee hangs in there, I guess. But Brooks, obviously, whatever golf tournament Brooks goes to, he brings a noise. He brings a juice. A lot of people love Brooks. So it's awesome to see him out of the Masters. Obviously, he boosts everything having him there. He is famously the guy that only performs at majors. So we'll see if that comes into play this weekend. Second one is I talked about it a little bit last week. I didn't, I didn't get too much into it just because I didn't want to dive too far into it. But a civil rights group down in Georgia and I talked about it, we're demanding 
the PGA tour to do something about the masters and the tour championship being held in Georgia after the new voting bill was passed. And I kind of, you know, stayed out of the politics or whatever, cause I don't want to get too far into that side of everything, but the PGA tour has responded. They're keeping the masters in Atlanta or in Augusta. Obviously everyone is there already. And they're also keeping the tour championship in Georgia. So they didn't make either, either change to either tournament which I get. Uh, they, a lot of people on Twitter were comparing it to, oh, but the NBA moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta this year. I, I think it's definitely, I mean, that's a great thing that the NBA did that. They should do that. But it's a little bit easier to move an All-Star game that's held in a city once every 20 years than to move a tournament that's been played at Augusta National since 19-whatever and a tour championship that's been held at the same golf course for, I don't even know, decades it's a little harder to do that, especially with the um, the impact that those two golf courses have on the economy of the towns that they're in. It's just really hard to move it around. So I get why the PGA Tour didn't do anything. It kind of sucks the image it kind of puts on golf. It didn't seem to bother a lot of people when I was looking on Twitter, when I was looking around to see how people were thinking. Obviously, there's a few that thought that they should have done something. It's just a lot harder to move those kind of events than just an all-star game that can be played anywhere just because more likely than not, there's not going to be like that many fans at an all-star game just because of everything going on with COVID-19 still, obviously. So you move it around a little bit, not that big of a deal. It's really hard to move the Masters. It's impossible to move the Masters. And then it's very difficult to move the Tour Championship, which has been there forever. That is the FedEx Cup title venue so that's very difficult but that's the news they didn't move either one so we'll see what happens but with that kind of stuff out of the way with the headlines out of the way let's get into the Valero Texas Open again we're going to talk about Jordan for a little bit here but I'm very excited to get into the Masters obviously we'll cover a couple of the guys that got you know snuck into the top five including Hoffman that we cashed plus 175 for a top 20 might have been the easiest bet of all time I don't know why I just didn't but boosted up to a top 10. He was never not going to be in the top 10. I mean, his first round wasn't great, but after that, he was incredible. But on the Jordan Spieth front, it is so good to have him back. Golf is in such a better spot now. Obviously, he's going to have to hold it for longer. He's not going to be able to just to come in here, win one tournament, then go on a four-year hiatus like he just did. But golf is such a better sport with Jordan Spieth back in the midst. I mean, he is, Tiger Woods is on another planet, another universe when it comes to moving the needle for the game of golf. But when people cheer for a golfer during a golf tournament, I don't know if there's a guy that moves the needle that is fan-backed by more people around the game of golf than Jordan Spieth. He moves the needle. And I think, and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, I think maybe at the Waste Management, so a couple months ago. I don't want to say he plays common man golf because he doesn't. He's obviously very talented. He makes 25-foot putts all the fucking time. But what is so common man about it is he's not great off the tee. Like, he's going to find trouble off the tee. He's going to find the rough. He's going to find fairway bunkers. He's going to hit in the woods every now and then. He's going to need to punch out from trees. And that's where amateurs play from. That's where we thrive. Is Maybe not thrive, but that's where we play golf from on our second shots. We play golf from shitty spots all the time. And then we make fives, we make sixes, we make quads. And then it's just like, well, that sucks. But then to be able to see somebody like Spieth who gets into trouble sometimes off the tee and then his heroic actions, he's 
making pars from these spots. He's making birdies from these spots. It is insane. He made one. He made a, a ridiculous tree shot just a couple weeks ago at the WGC match play. Left side of the first fairway, rope hooks it around the tree. Like it was incredible. That's the kind of shit that people love to see, and that's why people love Jordan Spieth because he's. He's definitely not the common man golfer. He's won a Masters. He won the Open. He's won everything pretty much. So he's not common man in that aspect, but his game is to a certain degree. And people fucking love Jordan, man. He moves the needle. And it's so awesome. All those people that got to see that victory yesterday, it was perfect for them. And golf is in such a better spot. Now that Tiger, who knows the next time we're going to see Tiger, golf fans need that one guy that every time he's in the field, Everyone is okay with him winning, right? Obviously, back in the day, there was people that hated Tiger, especially after everything that came out. Don't want to get into that. But Jordan is the guy that if he's in the field and he's in the top five entering Sunday and it's like maybe a week tournament, no one else made the cut. He's the guy that every single golf fan can go, I like this kid. I want him to win today. And it w- it's been like that since he won the Traveler, since he won the Master, since he won the John Deere. He's been that kid, and he moves the needle. And it's so awesome with Tiger out of the game for who knows how long we have Jordan Spieth back. It appears that we have Jordan Spieth back. So who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what kind of week he's going to have at the Masters? I'm sure he did not celebrate that Valero Texas Open victory yet. He's got a huge week this week. To get it in form, he's already in form, but just to tighten it up just a little bit, he's going to have to be a little bit better off the tee. He was pretty decent off the tee, actually, down at the Texas Open, so maybe that carries over. But again, it's so fucking awesome to have Jordan Spieth back. Everybody knows this already. This is his first win since the 2017 Open, the go get that putt. That's the tournament that he last won. I was actually watching a tournament with my dad, and he he said you could give him a million guesses and he forgot that that was the last time he won. That's like how big Jordan Spieth's name is in golf, especially to like the casual golf fan. You think he wins all the time still? He hasn't won in four years. So, so awesome to have Jordan back. And like I said, like I mentioned, he looked pretty decent with the big stick. I watched his entire round on Sunday and he had his little confident little waggle going before he took it back and he was just hitting a lot of fairways. I mean, he found a couple of fairway bunkers. He found a rough a couple of times, but he was really good with the big stick and he had the confident little swag going to him. I can remember one tee shot. I don't remember. He didn't look super comfortable over it, but every other other one he looked good. He had a little confident. We haven't seen the confidence in a long time. That's what's been lacking forever. And the driver seemed to kind of kick it in gear. So we'll see what happens if it carries over. Uh, In the field this week, he was fourth in strokes gained approach, third in strokes gained around the green, sixth in strokes gained putting. And again, he was 38th with driver and he was gaining strokes. He gained probably just literally a stroke over the entire tournament he gained with the driver. But even if he's just in that spot, gaining a fourth of a stroke per round. He's good enough with the rest of his game that that's fine. His driver doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be average. If he has an average driver week, he's going to be in contention because his wedge plays fantastic. He puts the fucking lights out and he's a great iron player. That's just what's going to come to end. His short game is fucking ridiculous. I don't know if you guys saw that flop shot on Saturday, but holy shit was that thing incredible. And then I saw this tweet come across my phone. I forget who it was, one of the CBS guys, Porter maybe. He tweeted this out. And he took the past whatever, what is that, 
eight years and compared Jordan Spieth's strokes gain total number of the three months heading into the Masters and then correlated it with his finish at that Masters. For example, in 2014, his strokes gain total number for the three months heading into the Masters, he was ninth in strokes gain total. He finished T2 at that Masters. The second year, 2015, he was second strokes gain total heading into the Masters for those three months heading into the Masters. He won the Masters. In 2016, he was seventh in strokes gain total. He tied for second. But then it directly correlates. In 2020, he was 113th strokes gain total in the three months heading into the Masters, and he finished T46. All his lower down the leaderboard finishes at Augusta National correlated with years that he wasn't great strokes gain total. That's just how it is. But in the last three months, Jordan Spieth ranks 10th in strokes gain total heading into Thursday. So is that a sign that he's going to have a whole huge week? I really fucking hope so. Because Jordan Spieth with the swag back, hitting putts all over the fucking place, him and Greller going nuts. Love that. His post-round interview was one of the more sincere things ever watched a golfer do. You could see that he was getting a little choked up a little bit. I mean, like, not crazy amounts, but you could see that this, it was starting to slowly settle in as he got further and further away from the moment that he made that little foot putt to win the golf tournament, right? He was in the interview and he was like, wow, I, at some point I didn't think that I would ever have, or I didn't know when I was ever going to have one of these conversations with you. I think Steve Sands, maybe whoever the fuck does that for golf channel. This one was big for him. Momentous. I think he called it victory for him. Crazy. And my favorite part about it is he did it with his guys, right? He stuck with McCormick, even though everybody outside of speeds camp said, why the fuck are you still with McCormick? You could go get coached by somebody else and maybe that's turn it around. He stayed with McCormick. Sure. He took a couple lessons from Butchie Harmon. I think a, the morning of the third round of the Zozo championship last year, late 2020, literally drove over there, got a, got like an hour lesson for Butchie and then went back and had a great weekend of the Zozo. So he had other inputs, but he never strayed from having McCormick coach him. Same thing with Greller. I don't know if that was ever in question, if if they would have ever split up because Greller does such an amazing job with Jordan Spieth. He's a different player when it comes to on the course. He talks a lot. He talks everything out. He wants to take chances. Greller has to put up with that. And for a caddy, that's really fucking hard to do. But he stuck with his guy and he did it with his team. And it sounds ridiculous. Like we're talking about this guy's never won in 10 years and he's 40 years old. He's 27. He won the Open in 2017. But for a kid with that much skill talent that came up, and was winning all these golf tournaments, and then all of a sudden you fall off the face of the earth, a lot of people wanted him to make a lot of changes. And Jordan stuck with all of his guys, and then now they get to celebrate a Valero Texas Open victory, a fat fucking paycheck, and now they're one of the favorites going into Augusta National. So it was so great to watch Jordan Spieth play good golf again. He's got his swag back, and he, more than anybody on the PGA Tour, maybe besides Tiger, loves Augusta National. So I, he's vibing and he's vibing going into Augusta National. That is a very dangerous recipe for everybody else on property this week. So we'll see how it goes. Going through some of the other names here in the top five, Charlie Hoffman. This just continues to be Charlie Hoffman's event. And I realized very quickly, 
Charlie Hoffman, a couple years ago, used to be the guy that I fucking hated on the PGA Tour, really for no reason. I just don't like the way that when he hits a shot, his head stays, like, sideways, and he, like, moves it back and forth, and he's, like, it's very ugly to look at. That is literally the only reason why I don't like him. I'm sure he's a great guy. I don't know why that's the case. But he used to be, like, my current-day Bryson, although I do not like Bryson for a lot of reasons. But as I was watching, let me get to my point here, as I was watching Charlie Hoffman, I realized that like Charlie Hoffman's pretty cool and he's like a great wedge player. He keeps everything in front of him and he's a good golfer. He's played in this event 15 times. He's made the cut every single fucking time. He has back-to-back second place finishes. Last time it was played in, it was 2019. He was second back in that year too. He's a past champion. I believe he won it back in 2016, the year before Kevin Ch- his buddy Kevin Chappell did. And to be honest, down the stretch on Sunday, he was pretty much looking Jordan Spieth in the face and was making everything that he had to do, right? He was getting up and down from really bad spots. Early in the back nine, he he short-sided himself really, really tough on the left-hand side. He had to land the ball in the rough to get it close. He did exactly that, made par, got up and down for par, was making birdie putts, like 10, 12 birdie putts, or 10 to 12 foot birdie putts, rather. He was making them. He was playing very very good golf. And it was really impressive to watch him hang in there with one of the biggest names in golf. Like Charlie Hoffman's no pushover. He's an older guy on tour. He's been there and done that. So it makes sense that he kind of just stood eye to eye with Jordan and said, what up? Let's go play some fucking golf on this back nine. We're really close right now. Didn't have enough to get it done. Jordan was just too much, but he played very, very good golf. Uh, Wallace Glover, Lahiri round at the top five. This was the first time that I saw Wallace play a lot of golf doesn't get a bunch of TV coverage unless he's winning the golf tournament like he was or in contention rather in the top five. So he doesn't get a lot of TV coverage. So this was the first time that I really watched him play golf. Holy shit. Does that guy have just a absolutely beautiful golf swing? It is perfect. And he munches the ball too. He really compresses it very, very well. Just a beautiful golf swing. Lucas Glover, of course, one of the very few guys that doesn't wear a glove on the PGA tour, which like doesn't rattle me every time I see it. But it's almost the equivalent of like seeing somebody in Major League Baseball like not wear batting gloves, right? When you see it, just go, oh, that's kind of weird. Like there's only a couple guys that you can think of. Like I think Posada for the fucking Yankees did it. And it's just like, oh, that's a very odd thing. And I think in golf, it might even be weirder because I can't think of more than three guys, I think off the top of my head, that don't wear a glove while golfing. And then Lahiri played very good. It was making a bunch of birdies. Putter looked fantastic. His pants were a little questionable. They were like not yellow, but like not gold. It was very strange. But those are the guys wrap out the top five. And then young Rick, Ricky Fowler, didn't get it done. He will not be going to Augusta National. It was funny. Before this, before this year, he only made one start at this event back in 2019, and he tied for 17th. This year, he got another one. Finished T17 this year, not enough to get into the Masters. Big bummer. I like watching Ricky play. I think his swing is very different, but very awesome. That's why I love the Harmons. They don't really change anything. They take funky swings and just make the downswing a little bit better. So you just get into a bunch of really good positions at the bottom. That's what Ricky does. His swing, actually, he got a little bit of coverage on Sunday. His swing is looking very good. Uh, very a little bit more compact than it used to. That might be a change that he's going through. I wouldn't surprise me with a couple weeks off here. If he comes out, maybe he plays RBC Heritage the week after the Masters. Who knows what he's going to do? His swing looks pretty good. So I'm sure he was a little bit motivated to get a really good finish for the Masters. Obviously, a top 20 is not going to be enough. Who knows? But going to miss Ricky at Augusta. Obviously, he's had 
some seriously good starts. I think, wasn't it? Maybe it was the year. I don't think it was the year that Tiger won. Maybe the year that Patrick Reed won. I think he was in the top five. So he's played very well at Augusta National. It's a bummer that we're not going to be able to watch him this week, but hopefully he comes out and has a couple of good finishes uh, before what's the next major. Is it the PGA's next? I think down in Kiowa. So we'll see. We'll see if Ricky uh, can get it together here before the next major. We'll see. And then our pick to win, Abe answer. He grabbed a top 25, not even enough. We had him on the card um, other to win. We had him a card for a top 10. And it was really Thursday that fucked us. Thursday, early afternoon, he was four under bogey free through 16 holes. And then he goes to 17, which is a par five and makes triple. And then he goes to 18, which, again, a little bit tough of a closer, and makes bogey. So in his last two holes, he plays him at four over, and then he shoots an even par first round. And that, it, all day, I'm like, oh, answer is right there. He's going to have a shot, right? It's all about that first round for most guys. As some guys can fucking pull it out of their ass and come from behind from a large margin. But he was right there, four under. He was right with Spieth. Obviously, would have ended three shots back. I think the first round reader was maybe six or seven under, something like that. And then that kind of killed it. So who knows? A better Thursday morning. Just get maybe just maybe just give me a little double on 17 instead of triple. And then we working with two under and you can probably make a push come the weekend, but it just wasn't enough. So Abe answer fails us again. Just doesn't close on Sunday, just like everybody said he wouldn't, because that's becoming kind of his thing. Just like at Augusta National. I know it's Augusta National in the Masters, but last year he was what tied for second in the last group in the Masters and then just fucking peed down his leg and he tied I think he barely cracked the top fifteen. So maybe that's just what he does. Who the fuck knows? But without further ado, I'm gonna take a sip of my Sammy Adams and then we're gonna jump in to the Masters. Shit is good. I don't know if you guys have had it. If you haven't had it, I know they just rebranded it. I know it's an IPA they used to have. Sammy Adams, Wicked Easy, Juicy New England IPA, 6.8. It's very delicious. But let's get into it. Let's get into the Masters, folks. We're here. It's Masters week. They're back. The best players in the world are back for the first time in April since 2019. The last champion the Masters had in April was Tiger Woods, which is just crazy to think about. He actually won that fucking golf tournament. Sometimes you just have to think about it. That Tiger Woods at 40, whatever came back and won the masters. It's fucking insane. But the pictures I've seen so far being released at Augusta national, the course looks 1000 times better than it did in November. November, obviously some of the, some of the areas around the green struggled a little bit. It wasn't as lush and green as we're used to seeing. It was a little wet, it wasn't as firm. Nothing was running that fast. Whatever. Notes from Twitter, what I've seen, is the course looks fucking amazing. Prime condition. The greens are, it's firm out there, but the greens are like medium speed. They haven't really got them down to that lightning fast speed yet. I'm sure that they will. We might, we're projected, there's like a 30 to 40% chance of rain pretty much every day during tournament play. We'll get into the weather here in a second. So we're going to have to see if it becomes a little damp, if that plays into some guy's hands a little bit more, like a Rory McIlroy, who, has, who fair warning, we're going to end the show with Rory McIlroy. And just like I do every time the Masters come around, I have already convinced myself that Rory McIlroy is going to win the Masters. I'm going to try to convince you, but my guy is going to have a good week. That is what I've talked myself into. I don't know if it, nothing of his previous play over the last month have shown he's going to win the Masters, but I've talked myself into it, and that's where we are. Field. Defending champion, Dustin Johnson, is, of course, here, and he looks good. Um, 
if you guys didn't see it, his champion's dinner menu is out, and it looks fucking spectacular. Like, this is about as good as it gets. I have it right in front of me right now. We're going appetizers. We're going pigs in a blanket and lobster and corn fritters. I don't know what a fritter is, but it sounds delicious. First course, a little house salad, a little Caesar salad. Get the palate a little cleansed up from the pigs in the blanket. Then we're going family-style sides. We're going mashed potatoes and spring vegetables. Deliciousness. Main course, filet mignon and miso-marinated sea bass. Are you serious? It's fucking delicious. And then the best part, my favorite part, dessert, peach cobbler, apple pie with vanilla ice cream. Fuck me up. Wish I was there. I've never won the master, so I can't go. But that sounds crazy good. Probably in recent memory, the best champion's dinner I've seen in the last five years, probably. Tiger had his little quesadilla sushi dinner the last time this happened. That is not the case this time. DJ Barada in a big way. And then, like I mentioned, a name I already mentioned at the top of the show, joining DJ in the field unexpectedly, to be completely honest, I didn't think there was going to be, I didn't think there was a shot he was going to be there this week. Brooks Kepka's here, and he took to Twitter and said it. He used the MJ meme. I don't remember who the original tweet was from, but they said, from what I'm hearing, Brooks is going to be out six to eight months after right knee surgery again, blah, 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 blah. Brooks, after arriving at Augusta National, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was earlier today, I forget when he tweeted it, with the Jordan meme, and I took that personally. Perfect response. So he's here. Again, he's only a few weeks removed from surgery on his right knee. Only time will tell how act- like how healthy he actually is. Maybe he's starting to hobble around Augusta National. Who knows? Maybe he wins it on the one leg. Maybe he uses his third leg as a second leg and he wins the Masters because we know Brooks big dicks everybody. So maybe that's what he's going to do. But if he's feeling good, this field better watch out because this dude is a problem when it comes to majors and when it comes to Augusta National. He really likes this golf course. He big dicks everybody. Who knows? Our guy, our fucking guy, Roy McIlroy, his attempt for the career Grand Slam is a once or is once again upon us. This will be his sixth try. Hopefully it's his last try in the good way. I mentioned it earlier. I have officially talked myself into that our guy's going to have another good week this week. And I'll talk about it a little later at the wrap of the show, but I think it starts with the first round. John Rahm is here. Just announces uh, the birth of his kid on April 3rd, which is a win-win for him. He has a kid, beautiful kid, healthy, wife is healthy. Now he gets to go to Augusta, Georgia and play in the Masters. That is the biggest week maybe of all time. Fantastic. Coming into the tournament, he did say actually on multiple occasions that he would leave the tournament mid-round, mid-tournament, whenever, if his wife was to go into labor. Now that is out of play. He can focus on winning the Masters, taking home a $2 million check, and that kid is fine. So, I mean, he's fine already. John's won a fuck ton of times already, but congratulations to John Rahm. But he is in the field, which is awesome. He is a problem at Augusta National. Players champion, Justin Thomas, who I love this week. He's coming into good form. He's improved his finish at the Masters every single time he's played in it, culminating with a solo fourth back in November. This guy is starting to figure out Augusta National. He's starting to play really well. He's rounding into form. He didn't have his best stuff at the match play. He's coming off a player's championship. What a start to a year would it be if Justin Thomas goes player championship, green jacket. Would be insane. And then to round out this little section, 2015 champion Jordan Spieth will look to join a short list of players who have won the Masters after winning their previous start. The last one to do it, 
big lefty. Who knows if he's going to bring the 48-inch driver this year, but Phil Mickelson was the last one to do that back in 2006. So Jordan Spieth's going to look to join that list. I think Tiger did it in like 01 or something like that, but that's what he's trying to do. The golf course, Augusta National, par 72, 7,475 yards with bent grass greens. And before we get into the weather, let's take a, let's take a little course tour. Hole number one, T. Olive, par four, 445. If you guys aren't familiar, bunker down the right, woods left, dogleg right. Bryson's going to probably try to hit it over that bunker, have a little sand wedge in. Perfect opening hole to not only Augusta National, but the mate, uh, to the Masters. You can hit it in front of that bunker. You can try to sky it if you're a long hitter. A little cut works perfect. Or if you're Rory or one of those guys that plays a little bit of a draw, aim for the middle of the bunker, draw it over the fairway. Perfect opening hole because it really makes you decide what shape you're going to use there. Number two, one of my favorites, Pink Dogwood, par five, 575 yards. Everybody knows that you got to sling draw it, sling draw it, excuse me, if you're a right-handed golfer down the fairway. Then you have a pretty much hybrid approach probably the long hitters might have like a five iron in the green is treacherous if you land in the middle everything goes right have to throw a dart into left hand location which is usually thursday is usually where they put that one that is one of my favorite holes on the golf course flowering peach is a par four drivable 350 yards uphill but a lot of guys try to go for the green a lot of guys lay up with like a five iron and then they have a little bit of wedge this hole seems impossible because the green is ridiculous. I don't know if I've ever seen a green slant more right to left ever in my life. And then it's also like back to front, crazy green, flowering peach, another great hole. Flowering crab apple is another four. That is a long par three. We're talking par three, 240 yards from the back tips. Tough hole. Magnolia is fantastic. You cannot bail out right. It's a dog leg left, but if you try to cut off too much of the corner, it has two of the biggest bunkers or some of the biggest, I think there might actually be three, some of the biggest bunkers I've ever seen in my fucking life. Snow white. Perfect. This was a couple years ago. I think it was, what was it? 2018 during the third round, Rory hit it in one of those bunkers and he was feeling it. He birdied a couple of the first holes and he, he like ended up hitting the lip but with top spin, so it hit in the fairway, and then it just kept going. It rolled up to like 10 feet. That's this hole, 495-yard four, par, par four. One of the tougher holes on the golf course probably. Actually, let me, let me click on it. Fifth toughest historically hard hole on the golf course. Number three, Juniper, another beautiful par three, 180 yards. Then we go over to, uh, I do not know how to pronounce this. I'm just giving you guys a heads up right now. Pampas, Pampas, hole number seven, pretty straight away, 450 yards, pretty much just straight. Uh, the approach shot is huge. There's a bunch of bunkers green side. The uh, green is really back to front. Beautiful hole though. Yellow Jasmine is hole number eight, par five, 570. Another one of my favorites. Tree line left, bunkers right. You really have to hit a good tee shot and those bunkers are in the perfect position. I mean, they probably adjusted the tee box, but those bunkers are in perfect position to catch every single tee shot. If you come out of it just a little bit or if a lefty overhooks it or something like that or pulls it, perfect bunker right there you see a lot of guys in that bunker compared to the woods on the left love this hole and then the approach is borderline impossible you have to rope hook something into that green and then the layup is not even easy from a spot very beautiful hole carolina cherries hole number nine par four 460 yards this is another great one a lot of the big hitters can drive it right down to the bottom of the hill of the green but then the green is severely slow back to front so anything spinning is going to spin right back to the frontier it's beautiful not a lot of guys can get to that back shelf you got to really be able to control uh, control the spin next one up after i take another sip of sammy uh, i think it's camila 
I don't know. A couple of these I don't know. They're all like plants, so sometimes I don't know how to pronounce it. Hole number 10, again, this is another one where a righty that hits a draw like Bryson or Rory, field day, sling a draw in there, par four, 495 yards. This is the one bunker is like in the fairway, but it's borderline useless unless you catch a guy that's like trying to hack it out of the woods and they find that bunker just at the bottom of the hill. This is this is a great hole. Tough on the guys. I mean, last year they split tee it. That's a really tough hole to start on, but it's a great challenge. Here comes the back nine is pretty much the message of that hole. Like we're about to get you into some really tough golf shots. And this is a stretch of the golf course that kicks you in the face. And then my favorite hole, white dogwood, hole number 11, the start of Amen corner, par four, 505 yards. A cut is probably a little bit preferable off this tee, but if you hit like a big draw and just start it on the tree line, it's going to be perfect. The second shot plays downhill, water left. If you bail out right, it's really not that easy of up and down. It is probably one of the more diff- it's is one of the most m- difficult golf holes. It is historically the second hardest hole in the golf course, and it is my favorite. This one right next to the right next to 12 is probably the most important shot or one of the most important shots of the golf tournament. Cause number 11, it's a really hard birdie, like a very hard birdie. But at the same time, if you don't hit the fairway, it's a very hard par. That is a hole that you're just trying to write four down on the scorecard and sprinting to the next tee box. And I love that, that it's early in the back nine because like Tiger says, the Masters doesn't start until the back nine on Sunday and having 10 and 11 and then 12 to deal with starting that back nine is hell. Speaking of 12, Golden Bell, par three, 155 yards. This is where Masters are won and this is where Masters are lost. Jordan put 17 balls in the water in 2016. In 2019, Tiger hit it on the green after everybody else hit it in the water. And then like the big dick energy that he has, he stood on the back of the green while everybody else that he was playing with went to the drop area and tried to hit it on the green. That is that kind of energy. Unbelievable. But obviously that's probably, if not the most famous hole in golf, it's definitely the most famous par three in golf. Golden Bell, fantastic. Azalea, this is always one of my favorite holes. I think 11 and 13 are probably my two favorites. I just love 13 because if you get out of position off the tee, it's all of a sudden a pretty hard par to make. Like if you find the, if you find pine straw with your drive down the right, you more likely than not going to have to punch out. Then it's a wedge to a very undulating green, and that's tough. But if you find the fairway, it's a very easy birdie, and you can very easily also eagle this hole. So that is always a good one, and it's kind of perfect because you come off 10, 11, 12, and then you hit 13. It's like if you can get through the first three holes on the back nine, even par, and then you can birdie 13, you're like, all right, I'm one under on the back heading into these last whatever, five holes, let's get after it. Hole 14, after the amen corner, Chinese fur, par four, 440 yards, pretty pretty straightforward hole. That one, Firethorn, 15, another great one, par five, protected by water, front of the green. This is also perfect because you have to hit a long iron, very accurate because you need to hit the green. If not, it's bouncing long and can end up actually going in the pond on 16. If you're short, you're in the water. Right is bunker and left is very undulating downhill. You're dead from pretty much anywhere but the green, right? It's a very hard up and down. But at the same time, if you lay up and give yourself a wedge thinking, oh, it's easier to hit the green from here. We saw the year after Sergio won. So in 2018, he put 
he made a what a 12 because he put five balls in the water so this is just not an easy hole it you should birdie it but if you have to lay up it's not an easy wedge you got to take all the spin off of it it's tough 16 par 3 170 redbud another fantastic golf course uh golf hole sorry Hole in one hole. This is the this is the hole. Bryson had a hole in one a couple years ago. So did JT. So did Kucher. Um, everybody. John Rahm skipped it off the water last year or in November and made a hole in one. So this is the one that a lot of hole in ones are made. That Sunday location is in a little bowl. Even Thursday location up front also has a little bit of a backstop. We'll see some there or at least one probably on Thursday. Nice one. Uh, Nandina hole number 17. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Par four, 444 yards. Again, another pretty, pretty straightforward. You just need to hit a really good drive right down the gut. Maybe hug the right hand side little. I think it, I think it goes a little bit left if my memory serves me correctly, but another great hole. And then my favorite, maybe besides Pebble, Pebble's a really good one, but Pebble's a par five. So it makes the difficulty level go down just a little bit, even though the water hugs the entire thing. This is probably my favorite closing hole in golf. Holly, par four, 465 yards, makes uh, right-handed drawers very uncomfortable because they're probably going to have to hit three wood if they can't hit a cut off the tee, and then all of a sudden you have a long iron into the screen, which is treacherous. You don't want to happen. And then if you have a cut guy, if you have a right-handed golfer that cuts the ball, you can overcut this very, very quickly and easily end it up in the trees on the right. So perfect, perfect ending hole to the best golf course to ever exist, my favorite golf course to ever exist, that is Augusta National. Let's jump into the weather after I take another sip of this. All right, weather. Thursday, it's going to be warm, 85. The temperature actually pretty much goes down throughout the week. Not a bunch, but it does. Thursday, it's going to be 85. We're going to see some probably rain in the afternoon, which we'll have to see when the tea times come out on Tuesday, if that affects any of our betting status, but 40% chance of rain, a little bit of windy, 13 miles an hour. That will definitely come into play at Augusta, if, especially if it's coming, uh, if it's going to be playing firm and fast. Friday the 9th, it's going to be 80. Scattered thunderstorms throughout the day, 37% chance of rain, winds down a little bit, 9 miles an hour. Saturday is going to be 82 afternoon thunderstorms, so it's going to affect the leaders more than everybody that tees off in the morning. Excuse me. And then we're going to get uh, seven miles an hour coming out of the south. On Sunday, the winning day, 79 degrees, isolated thunderstorms. It doesn't look like it's going to thunder that much. It's not going to look like it's going to storm that much. 33% chance of rain, nine miles an hour. If they get some rain throughout the early parts of the uh, tournament, Sunday could turn into a little bit of a birdie fest if it softens up a little bit and the wind goes down like it's supposed to. That might entail a lot of birdies being made. Who knows? I would rather see fucking chaos on Sunday at the Masters, firm and fast, balls going to water everywhere. But if it kind of turns into a birdie fest, it'll be interesting to see if somebody's like five back and makes a run, Rory McIlroy. But yeah, we'll see. Key stats. This is where Augusta National is really tough to figure out. Obviously, Data Golf has a couple that they really like. Um, approach play and driving distances there too. So those are the t- Augusta National is just one of those golf courses that truly tests every single part of your game. You need to putt well. Your around the green numbers need to be really good. Your iron play needs to be incredible, and you need to hit the ball a decent amount of ways. So that's what we're kind of working with. Where well, we're going to start, first key stat is going to be strokes gained approach. In the last five April Masters, the field leader in strokes gained approach has an averaging finish position of 1.8. 
if that doesn't tell you that stroke stand approach isn't important at this golf course or is important at this golf course, I don't know what to tell you. Of the players with 10 or more rounds at the Masters since 2015, only one player has averaged a full stroke or more on the field in approach play. Jordan fucking Spieth, who is just so happening coming off a win. Another stat. That's stats from Dustin Ray. Another stat. In 2019, Tiger gained 57% of his strokes on the field in approach. 57%. In 2015, Jordan gained 49% of his with his iron play. This is where the Masters is won. From the fairways, from the, from the needles, you need to hit your irons well. Man, this beer is really fucking good. We're already going for a lot, people. This is a long show, so buckle in. We're not done yet. We still got to get to all our betting shit. The next one we're going to talk about, driving distance. Driving distance just plays at Augusta National. Shorter hitters have won here before. Example, Patrick Reed, who actually that year, I mean, tour standard, he's on the shorter side. But on that week, he was actually sixth in driving distance. But shorter guys have won here, but not a lot. Because obviously, into these undulating greens, into these fast greens, having more launch, higher ball flight helps stop the ball quicker. And to do that, you need to hit wedges. You need to hit short irons. So longer hitters, further down the fairway, blah, blah, blah. You get it. But if a shorter hitter was to win this golf tournament, it comes down to their short game, i.e. Patrick Reed in 2018, probably the best short game on the PGA Tour. Makes sense. And the third one that I included in here... Data golf didn't have it super highly ranked, but I think I do. I think you need to be a good putter. You don't need to be a fantastic putter. I think it, it's a little bit of a combination of you need to be a good putter. Excuse me, but I also think you need to have you need to have seen these greens before. Experience at a golf course like Augusta National goes a long way, especially Augusta National, where a first time player at the Masters have never won the golf tournament. That's where that kind of comes in. If you've seen these greens before, and if you're already a pretty solid putter, that is going to be very important on the week. Data golf information, course fit, number one, stadium course, number two, Accordia, and that is not TBC Sawgrass. Number two is Accordia Golf, Navashino Country Club, and number three is Country Club of Jackson. For people like myself who are unfamiliar with every single one of those golf courses, a, co- a course comparison that I love and a lot of people love, a lot of analysts love, is actually Riviera where they played the Genesis. And that is going to come into play when we talk about betting odds. Trending. Of the players in the field, number one is Matthew Fitzpatrick. His last uh, three starts, T19, T9, T17. Number two, Patrick Cantlay, T15, miscut, T17. I know it seems a little bit weird that the second in trending would have a miscut in there, but his like, two starts before his T15 were like also very good, so that's where they get that. I just include the last three. And then number three, Daniel Berger, T35, T9, T17. He's also playing really good golf. Who knows? He won the first event back from, actually, more recently, he won the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. So that's where he gets in there. Percent chance to win. Baseline, course history, all that kind of stuff. This, I thought, was very interesting. So DraftKings, odds-wise, and we'll get this to a second, goes DJ, Bryson, Jordan Spieth, John Rom, Justin Thomas as the top five. Data Golf, and this is a big number, gives John Rahm a 9.1% chance to win. That is a big number. I did not expect to see one of those. If anybody was going to get that number, I thought it was going to be DJ. John Rahm, 9.1% chance to win. Number two is Bryson DeChambeau at 7.6%. Number three, DJ, 75 So Bryson and DJ are very, very close. 
But Data Golf really, really likes John Rahm this week, and I agree. I think he's in for. I think he's in for a really good week. So we'll see once we get to a uh, a little bit more of the betting section here. Let's go over the betting odds real quick. Dustin Johnson plus nine fifty, Bryson DeChambeau plus eleven five, Jordan Spieth plus eleven five, John Rahm plus twelve five, Justin Thomas plus twelve five, and then listen to this: Roy McIlroy, number six plus nineteen hundred. That is a big jump. Patrick Cantlay plus twenty five. Um, or 20, Patrick Cantlay, plus 2,050 is what I wanted to say. Xander Shoffley, plus 26. Brooke Kepka, plus 28. Colin Morikawa, plus 3,150. Daniel Berger, plus 35. Paul Casey, plus 35. Tony Finau, plus 35, which I don't know if Tony Finau has a chance to win this week, but we'll see. And before we get into the best bets, or a couple of the best bets, and then we're just going to kind of talk about the favorites, see if I like anybody a little bit down the board to come up and win the thing. Before we get into all that, aside from picking a winner or a long shot like top 10 or a long shot top 20, it's really tough to find value at the Masters, right? It's a little bit of a smaller field. It's the best players in the fucking world. The bottom is like old guys that just get into the Masters because they won the Masters, right? A lot of them are AMs. That's where the field comes from. So it shrinks down value a lot when you just put the best players in the world at the top of the leaderboard. But hopefully come Wednesday, or I'm sure I will come Wednesday, there's going to be a lot, a couple frisky picks. We're going to go like plus 200 picks, plus 300 picks. It's the fucking Masters. Let's win some money. But that's where we're going to get. The first couple of picks I already pretty much cemented in my card are not that they're like our normal range like 125 to like two we're gonna have a lot of big bets out there today so we'll see or this week we'll see side note before we get into this if i don't mention somebody down the leaderboard that you like going back to 2012 when bubble was when bubble won his first masters he won it again back or 2014 when he won his first masters he was the 18th ranked golfer in the world when he won since that year and I just didn't go further than this because I didn't want to. Since that year, no one who has won the Masters has been a lower rank than that. And that includes Mr. Danny Willett, who half of you probably don't even know who the fuck that is before he won the Masters. At the time, he was dominating the European Tour, and I believe he was 12th in the world. So we're looking for a top 20 player in the world to win this week is pretty much what that comes down to. The Masters, you can have a bunch of good stories like Cameron Smith last year, like Abraham Answer last year, like Sung GM. You can have all those cool stories. The big boys win this golf tournament. That's just what happens. So that's what we're going to be looking for. And very ironically, we start off with not one of those guys. We're going to go top. This is the thing about the Masters and pretty much majors, as you guys will learn as we get into major season. I go with my fucking boys when it's major season. The boys that are playing well, but I go with my boys. I trust my boys. Even if I'll fit them in a bet. If I don't love them, I'll fit them in somewhere. Maybe top 30, top 40, something. My boys are going to be in there. Number one, one of our main guys, Max Homa, top 30, plus 125. Fuck it. We're putting them on the card. Like I said, it's really hard to find value for a top 30 or top 20 pick that's relatively like, oh, I actually really like that. This is one of those chances that like, oh, I actually really like that. So we're starting with our guy. Max, even though he did not move on to the Sweet 16 at the WGC match play, he played fantastic golf. He was actually really upset that he didn't get into the 16, the round of 16. He thought he was going to get in there, but he didn't. Aside from a miscut at the players, Max has only one start since the November Masters where he finished outside the top 25. 
He's been one of the more consistent players on tour for the last six months, five months, whatever you want to say, and did get his first experience at the Masters back in November. He did miss the cut, but he's seen the golf course. He's been there for a couple of days. And I think there's something about Augusta National when you play it for the first time. And I think that's one of the reasons why no one's won it their first time. You get a little starstruck by the golf course. I was just talking to my dad about this the other day that they do the media lottery. Everybody that covers the Masters in person gets to enter the lottery. 30 of them get to play Augusta National the Monday after the Masters. If I was ever selected to play Augusta National the morning after Dustin Johnson won a fucking green jacket, I would forget how to take the club back. I'm a golf professional. I would forget everything I ever learned about golf. I would forget how to take the club back and I would just pick the ball up and throw it off the first tee. And then once I was out of vision of the green coats, I'd be back. Something about Augusta National. I don't know. But I think he's going to be a lot more dialed in. And starting today, I just I just bought it for you fucks today. I joined Fantasy National Golf Club, so which is fucking sweet. So I still get all my information from Data Golf, but this thing has all the strokes gained from like starts, starts, ranks everybody, color codes them. It's fucking awesome. If you guys don't have it and you guys play a lot of like fantasy stuff, go fucking get it. It's awesome. Anyway, so I joined that. So all these stats are coming from that, Fantasy Nation, whatever. Over, his, over Max Homa's last 24 rounds, he's eighth in strokes gained approach, which again, incredibly important at Augusta. In that same span, he's ninth in strokes gained putting, ninth strokes gained total, if he finds a lot of fairways, which Max, sneaky long all of a sudden, he's going to make a lot of birdies. His iron play is fucking on. He's sh- striking the golf ball very, 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 very well right now. And earlier in the show, I said that I loved Riviera as a course comparing to Augusta. What the fuck did Max Homa just do at Riviera? He just won the Genesis. What did he do the year before at Riviera? He tied for fifth. Loves that golf course. It can translate. Max, I think... If you're looking at a lower seed to maybe even get in like the top five, top 15 finish, I think Max could definitely be that guy. Am I saying it in part because he's our fucking guy on this show? Maybe. I really like Max Homer this week. We'll see. I love him for a top 30. You can lock that in. That's going to be on the card come Wednesday. The next one is not one of our guys, but we seem to talk about him every week because I do like him off the golf course, on the golf course. I really like his game. He's a really good dude, does a lot for charity, and that's Kevin Kisner. Top 30 plus 175. Those are really good odds for kids to do a top 30. It's Augusta. It's Kevin Kisner. They work together. He's down the road. This is a home game for him. Whatever. He missed the cut in November, which I'm not putting a bunch of stock in because it turned into a birdie fest. It turned into soft conditions. You need to hit a long way. Lowest scoring masters ever. Kevin Kisner in that spot is not going to be able to keep up. And that's why I think he missed the cut. He just couldn't keep up with everybody else. So who knows? Before that, in the firm and fast conditions, he had back-to-back top 30s when it's played in April in 2019 and 28, uh, 2019, 2018, he had back-to-back top 30s. In his last 24 rounds, he's ninth in strokes game putting, which is no surprise. He's one of the better putters on tour. With the April conditions, kids should benefit for some rollout in the fairways, shortening his approaches, right? If he hits a 280 normally, but if Augusta is playing firm and fast, that 280 all of a sudden rolls out to 310 and on a 450-yard hole, he has 140 in, probably a little choke down pitching wedge for him. He's a fantastic wedge player, really good with his short irons. That's when he can score well. He's already one of the best putters on tour. Short game's pretty good. If he can get some rollout in these fairways, that's how he's going to contend at this golf tournament. And I, like I said, home game factor. He lives 20 minutes down the road in Aiken, South Carolina. This is a home game for him. He loves Augusta National. He's in good form. He played great at match play. He played really fucking good. He just lost to Matt Kuchar. He he was 2-1 in match play, but Kuch went 3-0. So that'll do it. 
but I think Kisner top 30. I love starting the card with those two top 30 picks. Love the start to this card. And then uh, the last one, this is like a pick that's already going to be on the card, and then we're going to get into some just names, is top 10 Justin Thomas for plus 140. Another one of our like kind of guys. Every time he's played in this tournament, his finish has gotten better. He went T39, T22, T17, T12, fourth. The more he's seen this golf course, the more he fucking loves it. In his last 24 rounds, he's third in strokes gained approach, ninth in ball striking, eighth in strokes gained tee degree, and sixth strokes gained total. He's also a better putter on bent grass, ranking 24th in his last 24 rounds. He likes this putting surface. Again, he continues to improve his finish at the Masters. Will this result in him finishing first, winning the green jacket? Who knows? I love Justin Thomas for a top 10. Love that pick. And then before we get into kind of discussing some of like the bigger names, just because that's what we're focusing on is the bigger names in the tournament. A couple guys, I didn't have a bunch of notes, Kyle Morikawa. He struggled a little bit recently, but obviously ball striking goes a long way. He's one of the best ball strikers on tour. He's one of the best iron players on tour. I think this year he is actually the best iron player on tour that always plays at Augusta. And then a guy, a rookie, making it, I think this is his first start at Augusta National, Will Zalatoris, a guy that you have heard on this show before. He's a ball striker's ball striker. He's a guy that Henry Stenson looks at and goes, holy shit, he strikes the golf ball very well. In his last 24 rounds, he's inside the top 10 in strokes seeing tee to green, ball striking, and approach. He hasn't missed a cut in 2021 and has only one finish outside the top 22. Since the calendar turned, Will Zalatoris is playing some fucking good golf. Like I said a couple times already, no one has won their event in their first try, but that doesn't mean Will can go out there and grab us a top 20 for plus 188. If he's on the card, that's where he's going to be. I don't wouldn't go any higher than that just because this is his first Masters. Who knows? He's not that great of a putter, so that's going to be the thing that hold him back. But if we end up relying on his approach play and his ball striking, that's always going to be there. That's where we would put him top 10 because I think he's only like plus even money maybe for a uh, for a top 30 finish. So that's where we would end up going. But let's jump into some of the bigger names before we get to Rory. John Rahm is the first guy. I don't know where I'm going to put him yet. His odds aren't great. He's probably going to have to get bet on for a top five finish because his top 10 finish isn't really that good. Who knows? But I think entering the week, he's going to be in a good mindset. He just had his first fucking kid. That changes somebody for real. That just makes your ease, like mind at ease a little bit when stuff on the golf course like isn't going as well. That's what you can go to. He's a fucking head case. He's a bomb. He's worked with a bomb diffuser to kind of get his attitude better. Who knows if that fucking worked? It didn't work. He's still a psycho, but I think this might actually help. So who knows if anything can get him in a better mindset, it's definitely his kid. He's been great at this. He's been fantastic at the masters. He has four starts. He's made the four. He's made Every single cut, no finishes outside the top 30. He has three straight top 10s, including a T9 and a fourth, the last two playings in April. Is that trending the right direction at Augusta National? I think it is. He could be a very big problem this week for everybody. In his last 24 rounds, he's inside the top 10 in strokes and approach off the tee, ball striking, tee to green, and total. He's just playing, he's just, his whole game is there. Maybe the results don't speak to that, but who knows? His value betting-wise, like I said, is not there. You're probably going to have to bet on him to either win, which he's one of the favorites, so that might not be worth it. But if you like him at a top 10, if I can bring it up real quick, uh, John Rom for a top 10 is only plus 125, so you probably have to go to a top 5 finish at plus 275. If you guys like that, he loves this golf course. His game is in a really good spot. He's going to be a problem. DJ. 
He's a monster at Augusta. Five straight top tens, three out of four top fives, including a second last time. It was in April. Of course, he's the defending champion, just won it back in November. It's just so fucking hard to win back-to-back Masters. It's only been done three times. Tiger in 01 and 02, Nick Faldo in 89-90, Jack Nicklaus in uh, 65-66. It's only been done three times. Of course, those are gigantic fucking names. Dustin Johnson's probably going to be one of those names when he retires. He kind of already is, has a lot of fucking wins, has a couple majors. I don't know if he can get it. Like Those odds already are telling me not to bet Dustin Johnson to win this golf tournament. That's just what that's telling me. So whatever. He's also been struggling of late. He's made five starts since November playing of the Masters. He had a T11 at the Tournament of Champions just in January, and he had a T8 at the Genesis at Riviera Country Club. But since then, he had a T54 concession, which if you don't know, was a WGC and only like 70 guys are there. And then he had a T, he made the cut, but he had a T48 at the players. Also not great. And then for the third year in a row, he missed the Sweet 16 at the WGC match play. So who knows what we're going to get from Dustin. He might turn it on because we're at the Masters. Obviously, that could very well happen, but he has not been playing his best golf in the last month and a half. So he's going to have to turn it around quickly. And a big name that you guys are probably fucking thinking to yourself, oh, when is he going to get there? Whatever. Before we talk about Rory, I'm going to bring up Bryson's name. I don't want to talk about Bryson. He thought he had a bigger cock than Augusta National last year, and then he got cock slapped in the face, barely made the cut, lost to Bernhard Langer on Saturday. I really hope that fucking happens again. The last time I said that Bryson wasn't going to win a major, he won the U.S. Open right in my face. So Bryson, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about you. I'm not going to mention it. So that's where we are on that. And then to end the show here, because we've been talking fucking forever and it's hard to talk this long by myself and keep myself entertained, Roy McIlroy. We're going to fucking end it with our guy because it's that time of year again. I have talked myself officially into thinking that Roy McIlroy is going to win the Masters. I bet on my guy every single fucking year. That will not change this year. He is going to win. In my mind, that it will happen. But it's been no secret that he's been struggling of late. Struggling so bad that he hit it into somebody's pool in Austin, Texas during the first match of the match play. But I think his game is in a little better spot than everybody seems to think it is, especially, it's funny, there's two sides of media with Rory. It's the people that think the media like skews you to think that Rory's going to win every week, and then there's a side of media that goes, Roy McIlroy's not good at golf anymore. There's like no in between. After his match with the Impulter, he went to the range and hit 11 bags of balls. And in his next two matches, he beat the shit out of Lonto Griffin and won four and three, and then tied a very hot Cameron Smith on Friday. His putter's looking a lot better. He looks a lot more comfortable over it. He's doing the little JT routine where he lines up the line on his ball to the line there. He wants to hit it. He does a little hover thing to make sure it's right, picks up the coin, gets in there, fires. I love that he's doing that. His short game was money in Austin. He chipped in a couple of times. He putted in from off the green on 18 to win 18 to tie the hole with Cameron Smith. He made eagle from off the green on that drivable par four. His short game looks really, really good. But that takes us to driver. He struggled a little bit with hitting fairways. He's a little bit all over the place. But last week I did go over a little bit of a change because I was watching videos of Rory Swing and it seems to be a little bit more upright which is a much better spot for him. That's where he plays his best golf is where he swings a little bit more upright and not so deep to change it to hitting balls as far as he wanted to, right? As far as like possible for him. He was getting really deep, really flat, but now it seems that it's a little bit more upright. 
And that's where that swing wants to be. He won the players from that area. He won the Arnold Palmer in that spot. He won the Canadian Open when it was a little bit more upright. That's where he plays his best golf is when it's a little bit more upright. And I think that change has a lot to do with his new coach, Pete Cohen. I think he's doing a really good job. In that same breath, especially with a week off, I expect his short iron and wedge play to be good this week. That's what Cohen is known for. He's known for wedge play. That's the area of the game where Rory struggles with the most. And I'm guessing him picking Pete, that's not a coincidence. Cohen loves hitting wedges well. He loves teaching wedge play. And that's what Rory needs. And I think the swing will be a lot better. And I think the wedge play will be significantly better even if it's just a little bit, significantly compared to Rory, better than it normally is. I think that's, I think that's, I like that. A couple of the stats to back up Rory this week. Many people bring up iron struggle, right? Iron play struggle. I even bring it up sometimes. You're 160 yards out and you put it to 55 feet. You can't do that on every hole. Four of the last six starts that he's made this year, he's gained over one point strokes on the field. Love that number. So it might, it's a little bit better than you might think. According to Fantasy National, Rory, over his last 24 rounds, is 15th in strokes game putting when, the play, when they play on lightning-fast bent greens, which that is Augusta National. Once it becomes Thursday, they get a couple more days of sun. Everything's going to be faster, right? They roll it, whatever, every morning. Over his last 24 rounds on lightning-fast bent greens, he's 15th strokes game putting. We love that number. Only once in his last seven visits at Augusta National did Rory finish outside the top 10. He really likes the Masters Tournament. The more he plays it, the more he likes it, kind of just like Justin Thomas. In his last 24 rounds here, he's second in strokes gained total at Augusta National, at the Masters. The one thing I'm going to bring up before I end it here, Rory in majors since 2015. His first rounds, 28 over par. Did Portrush kind of put a big old blimp on that one? Yeah, because he shot a million over, whatever. If you guys remember, he shot plus three in the first round of the Masters last year, 75. He came back and shot 66, and then he finished T5 last year in November. Rounds two through four, he's 64 under. Anything in the range of 68 to 71, maybe even even par. Excuse me. I just burped in y'all's face, in your ears. It's getting late, and it's we've been talking for a long time. An opening 68 to 72 in that opening round, maybe even 71, just get a little one under start is going to be gigantic for Rory. That's where he needs to make his, not make his hay because it's so early in the week, but for him, he plays so much better two through four than in that first round. You need to go out. He needs to go out. Hopefully as a morning tea time, a little bit softer condition conditions, go shoot 68, go shoot 69. Let's get on either the front page or the second page of the leaderboard going into Friday. That's where Rory needs to go. So we'll see what happens. But guys, that's the show. We've been talking fucking forever. Um, the Instagrams for the show, at Twilight9Pod. And then my personal Instagram, at RileyHamill underscore. Make sure to keep an eye on uh, Twilight9.com. I'm writing a little bit more blogs now, um, instructional content. I know I tell you guys every week, but it is actually coming soon. Um, I just got new clubs in the bag, so I'll be doing a video about that. But go follow the social medias. Go follow her on Twitter. Make sure to keep an eye on the YouTube channel on all that kind of stuff. Follow the Instagrams. Make sure to share the show around with anybody in your family that loves golf. I love hearing from you guys. Questions come in through the DMs. It's awesome talking to you guys. Share it around. I appreciate everybody that listens to the show. I love that I get to do this. It's fucking incredible. But share the show around. And uh, I cannot wait to watch some golf this weekend. Go enjoy some golf. Don't move the, on the couch 
Saturday through Sunday. I'm not moving Thursday through Sunday, but don't move the couch. Don't move on the couch. Just sit there, have somebody bring you food, bring you beer, whatever. Enjoy the golf this weekend. Can't wait to talk to you guys next week about the recap. Recap the Masters. I'll talk to you guys then. Peace.